In this week's episode of the show, I had the pleasure to welcome the president of the Irish Hotels Federation, Elena Fitzgerald Kane. It certainly brought back some memories for myself as I worked at Fitzgerald's Woodlands House Hotel and Spa a number of years ago. Elena is a director of the family-run property, a previous lecturer at her old college, the Shannon College of Hotel Management, and a real industry titan. I've no doubt you'll find this a fascinating episode, and I hope you enjoy. So Elena, welcome to this week's episode of your Next Generation Hotel podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm delighted to be chatting to you, Mark. It's been a while because obviously you and I worked together a good few years ago when you were training as a student. So great to reconnect and great to have the opportunity to talk and speak with you today. I know. I remember it well. It was brilliant when, when Shannon and Philip Smith sent me down to Woodlands to, to learn my lessons and what a great place to, to be trained in. So thank you so much. I, I did learn so much there and had such a great time. You've been with the, the Irish Hotels Federation for coming up to about six months now as president. So I suppose going back to your early days and in hospitality, I'd love to just hear kind of the journey and, um, you know, five minutes of, of maybe the journey to date in, in the beautiful world that is hospitality. Sure. So I suppose I became the president of the Irish Hotels Federation at the end of February. So just over four months ago. And it was funny, you know, we started off with congratulations, congratulations. Nearly soon enough afterwards, I was hearing commiserations, commiserations. So that, I suppose, tells the sense of journey that it has been. I remember when I was in Galway and as part of my acceptance speech, kind of had this lovely idea of what the next two years was going to look like. And a sense of I set out 10 goals in terms of, uh, you know, what I wanted to achieve and, and all of the things that, that that represented. So just to kind of give you a sense of, look, what was important to me post-COVID or pre-COVID, should I say, was number one, the tourism would be at the heart of the government's agenda and economic agenda going forward. Because I don't feel that that has been the case over the last few years, despite some amazing people working in our tourism community, that we would become employers of choice, that sustainability would be at our core that we would have enhanced research capabilities. So often from a tourism perspective, when we go to look at numbers, we don't always find the answers that we're looking for, that we would celebrate success. You know, all too often there aren't enough positive stories out about the amazing and suppose, resilient industry that we have. And, and that to me is really, really important that we build on that success and we celebrate it at every opportunity. Another issue that comes to mind as well, this would have been my seven points, was the relevance of the Irish Hotels Federation to its membership, that it really understood what members needed in terms of support and that we could get a greater sense of connection and that we would ultimately be delivering on, you know, as much as possible everyone's agenda. Best in class is another huge, huge point uh, for us. Um, We have wonderful standards of hospitality and indeed facilities throughout the country. But it's how we, I suppose, become, you know, the go-to destination, how we really emulate that whole best in class and how we learn across all of the different services that we have, not just in Europe, but, you know, across the globe. And, you know, even if we think of, I suppose, our hotel management community and even the very college that you and I went to, you know, the students are throughout the globe and there's so much that we can learn from our own contacts overseas as well. From an education perspective, Tourism really doesn't feature as part uh, of our national or secondary curriculum. So that was really, really important for me that there would be a greater focus on it or indeed as an individual subject at a point in time. Um, Regionality and seasonality are always issues on, you know, every, I suppose, 
um, Irish Hotels Federation President's Agenda and indeed the Federation itself and you know being rurally based that's something that I'm really really conscious of as well and I suppose the, the final point and you know who would ever have seen how important it would become is that whole sense of mindfulness that whole sense of community and uh, you know mental health and well-being across our members and indeed across all of the people you know that work in our hotel community and they would have been kind of the 10 points that I started out with on that fabulous Tuesday night at the end of uh, February and then the very very next day the first day into the, our job was the first COVID stakeholders meeting in government and at that meeting there was a sense of oh my god you know this could actually be really really serious I suppose it had been happening you know but it was everywhere else but not really in Europe at that point in time or at such a minimal level that it didn't you know it was there but it wasn't something that people were deeply concerned about and after that meeting, there was a sense of, well, you know, gosh, if this, you know, took hold, this actually could be really, really serious in terms of where it's going. Um, and, you know, there was a few weeks we were literally working into weekends, you know, nothing new for me because in our hotel, we work across the seven days. Um, but it was continuously moving towards trying to make sense because there was a huge, I suppose, funnel of cancellations, a huge lack of confidence within Ireland, obviously internationally, um, etc. And it was dealing with all of those. There was threats over St. Patrick's Day, which would be probably our traditional kind of window to the world in terms of all the buildings that are being greened overseas. And then came, you know, there was a rugby match cancelled. St. Patrick's Day was cancelled. There was still people coming in and out of the country in the sense of, is this a good or is this a bad thing? And it was interesting. I did a media interview on Saturday, the 14th of March. Now, on the 12th of March, there was literally a very restricted period was initiated in Ireland. That was kind of the first of the real restrictions. So part of that was that gatherings had to be a maximum of 100 people. So on Thursday, you know, we learned this information and we were due to host a wedding ourselves on you know, the 13th. So just a 24-hour window. So the couple went ahead. We hosted the wedding, obviously very much with the new regulations in mind so their wedding was for more than 100 people so we spread it across rooms and you know they had a great day but I felt they were so short-changed myself even we invited them afterwards you know listen when this all settles down not thinking it would be going on as long as it would we'd love to have you and all your guests back you know a bit of a party we'll organize music we'll organize food because we believe you deserve it um, our couple on the 14th interestingly on the 12th they had said yeah we're going to go ahead but by the time the 13th came they kind of went you know what there's too much of a weight and responsibility. And so I went to Dublin on the Saturday, did a media interview, and I'm driving on a very quiet road on the way down. And I said to myself, God, you know what? I'm not comfortable being open. And in fact, at that point in time, if the government had imposed a lockdown there and then, it would have been a very welcome thing for us because all that was going through my head was all the people that worked with us, 230 people, and seeing that multiplied across the country. And we wouldn't have been exposed to some corporate or urban hotels, you know, because local people, you know, generally feel a little bit more comfortable locally. And when I felt that pain, um, you know, I said, oh, my God, what's it going to be like in, you know, some other corporate hotels or that? So I rang my brother, David, on the way down and we had a discussion and we said, right, OK, look, you know what? If we're not comfortable, we should close. We had commitments around weddings the following weekend. We said we'd open for those expressly. And we felt that people would understand because we weren't comfortable. We weren't comfortable for our team. We weren't comfortable for our guests. So over that weekend, that Saturday evening, very strange because no wedding should have been a wedding. The Sunday was equally strange. We hosted events. You know, you just stand back. And we took the brave decision to close then on, on the 
Monday morning. And look, our decision was replicated across a lot of hotels throughout the country. And the big, big thing was, look, what's going to be there for our teams? So throughout that weekend, through the Saturday and Sunday, the Irish government came up with a great support um, system in terms of a, a pandemic payment. Now, it was initially at 203 euros, I think it was, which is, you know, relatively small in the general scheme of things. It certainly wouldn't be proportionate to kind of the wages or that. But the big thing was it was accessible online more or less straight away. So there was something there for, for people. So there came a huge relief with that. During the course of that week, even, you know, around St. Patrick's Day, some people had commitments around that. But during the course of the week, a lot of hotels closed and to the point that 90 percent of Irish hotels were closed in that very, very quick, short period. And again, you know, most of their teams were completely furloughed at that point in time. The, the government in the UK then announced a much better package in terms of teams being furloughed. And that probably was one of the greatest things that could have happened because in an Irish context then, you know, there was a big disparity between what the UK had and what Ireland had. And with that, then the figure became raised to 350 euros, which was a great, great starting point. So it was that whole process, I suppose, we probably initially felt, you know, there was a sense of, well, look, maybe we'll be back open by Easter, you know, as, as the weeks went along, it was a sense of, you know, would it be, when would it be? In the intervening period, the government announced a wage subsidy scheme. So that was a huge start because it allowed the hotel community, the tourism community, and indeed anybody who had lost earnings of 20% to bring some of their team back to work. This subsidy actually changed and it became better because it just, there was a logistical issue around it. Initially, there was almost like a sweet spot if you earned between X and Y, it worked. But then there was a lot of people that it didn't work for. So that was a revised to change that. We rolled on then, I suppose, with the whole backdrop of absolutely terrible crisis situations, not so much in Ireland, but certainly in terms of Italy, obviously, in Spain and, and, you know, many other countries. And thankfully, we never reached that break point. So on the Friday, uh, the first Friday in May, the government announced their roadmap for reopening. It was a series of five stages. What it meant from, a, I suppose, a hotel perspective is that we could have opened from the 20th of July. And then some of our services, including potentially gyms, bars, etc., they were not going to be allowed to be opened until the 10th of August. So that painted, I suppose, a very bleak picture in terms of where we were going, particularly for seasonal hoteliers, which are, you know, the backbone of so many seasonal and coastal communities. Because if they didn't have an opportunity to open up fully until the 10th of August and potentially their season would probably finish. You know, a lot of the schools go back here about the 24th of August. It meant that there was going to be no summer base there for them. So there was a series of lobbying initiatives that went on and against the backdrop of public health, because at the end of the day, public health are number one in terms of our teams and our guests. And in that same period as well, um, a tourism recovery task force was established. And I was lucky enough to be included as part of that, representing the voice of hoteliers. And indeed, I suppose probably a whole, you know, Midwest, rural, regional family business as well, which is a big, big part of our hotel and tourism community. And so between the combined efforts, what happened then was it was announced in the beginning of June, I think it was, or the end of May, that we'd actually, our phasing would be brought forward. And indeed, what actually happened across the whole Irish community was phase five actually kind of fell away. So we now became four phases. And in tandem with that then, everything was moved forward by a phase. 
So with three weeks notice, we were able to open on the 29th of June. So a lot of pressure on in terms of getting ready, repurposing, etc. And then there was a lot of question marks around, well, you know, are pools allowed at that stage? Are gyms allowed? We had been told as well as part of the May announcement on the roadmap, part of the very minute detail was that small gatherings would be allowed from the 20th of July and large gatherings from the 10th of August. But in, over the course of seven weeks, we could get no clarity on what small meant or what large meant. And particularly in the wedding business, which is a 1.5 billion industry in Ireland, you know, there was a lot of couples who were obviously very anxious about 18,000 affected couples and they needed clarity. And it wasn't just the summer, it was, you know, if the weddings ever been hosted in September onwards and that as well. So that was probably a very, very tough battle. Eventually, we, we, despite, I suppose, advocating that capacity should be linked to venue size, using the two metre social distancing, which was here, what came in was a cap on numbers, which was similar to the pre-lockdown phase. So that really wasn't met very well from, I suppose, a tourism community uh, perspective, because in some cases, you have ballrooms that can seat 900. So the notion of 100 in them nearly brings social distancing yeah. to it a very, very extreme beyond two meters it almost contradicts what the two meters is so that's something that hasn't changed as of now or that so i suppose as we look back it's the initial crisis it's you know the roller coaster it's closing it's sustaining you know what we as hotel communities and as a hotel federation had to do you know during that sustained period without a sense of when will we be reopening and then you know the rejigs and the changes which were welcome in so many respects but it's like a state of constant flux and i suppose now we're in a state of trying to survive right now and try to rebuild and that whole sense of tourism recovery. Our borders are still very much closed right now. So that's a limiting factor, but I believe it's probably the right thing in the context of where we are right now, because it's only since the 29th of June, 10 days ago, that we were actually allowed to travel across the country ourselves. And really, you know, when you think of incubation periods and allowing yourself a buffer, it'll naturally bring us to the 20th of July. So what happened during the week was the discussion and quarantine we have a 14-day mandatory quarantine that was pushed back. We were supposed to produce a list of green countries where there would be reciprocal travel arrangements between, um, but that was pushed back. But I believe that's right in, in the context of the improvements that we're making. We're nearly like the poster boys or girls, you know, in terms of those COVID numbers right now. And the time will come where that will be very, very relevant. So I suppose the big pieces are, the big questions are, what lies ahead in terms of September you know, gatherings and international travel are a huge, huge part of that. So a lot of concern and, and, and a lot of anxiety right now. So I suppose that's been the whirlwind of, you know, the, the four and a bit months, which has been mirrored in our own hotel and obviously across the country and that. But, you know, I suppose from a head office perspective, it was all new. It's, it's not like it fundamentally, yes, it did fundamentally challenge everything that we knew because the scale was so extreme across the world, you know, but we had great energy coming into that. And I think that served us well and great support within our own tourism community in terms of working groups helping out because there's a lot of ground to be covered. And there still is in terms of supports. Right now, the focus is very much on there's going to be a July stimulus package in, in Ireland where we're expecting huge support for tourism. And I suppose, you know, working towards, you know, gatherings, providing enough reassurance that we can do this and we can do it safely and we can do it well because that will have a huge impact on hotels being sustained beyond 
the summer. And I suppose, look, from an international quarantine perspective, we would have been very much in favour of a testing regime as opposed to the mandatory 14 days uh, quarantine. But obviously, there's a lot of scientific reasons. You know, whilst that's been done in Iceland right now, there's a concern that it can't be done with the volumes that potentially would be in Ireland. So I hope that gives you a sense of, of the road. And no doubt there'll be more highs and lows as we go along. I can imagine no, it certainly does. I'd love to understand the kind of chain of communication over the last kind of couple of months between, say, hoteliers, obviously yourself and the Irish Hotels Federation, government, and then government back down to IHF, back down to hoteliers. How has that looked? How has it worked together? Has it been collaborative? Has it been knocking your head against the wall? What's it kind of look like? And, and how has it then been relayed to hoteliers so they can understand what's happening in their <laughs> business, in their livelihoods? Okay, so it's like a very complicated web <laughs> and it was new to me within reason. But you know what? Then when it's new to you, you challenge it. And at the end of the day, there's a lot to fight for. So it's very easy. And the beauty, and not that there's beauty within where we are right now, is that word collaboration that you used, um, that was very, very much part of it. So I suppose when you think about it, you had a previous government, we now have a new government. Uh, within that, there's been different responsibilities. So previously, we had a minister for tourism and we had a junior minister who worked in that area. And that was spread across three areas. Now we have a new government, so we are now spread across six areas. So, And even within that, the department officials have changed as well. So who our go-to person would have been before, they are now in a different area. So we're starting again from the bars. And I suppose it's unfortunate in a way that it happened right at this point in time, but it is what it is. And we have to forge on. But what we have found is there is a great sense of empathy from government that they really understand because in our tourism community, there are 260,000 people working in it. And there is huge concern in terms of the amount of jobs that can be lost and saved. And government supports, we have some already in terms of the wage subsidy scheme. We got a three months weights, rates waiver, which is incomparable in terms of the supports that have been got in UK. And bearing in mind, most people were closed for probably about 105 days. So the three months waiver really as it is, doesn't quite, I suppose, support where it is now. We now open with 30% occupancy across the country. Obviously, from a rural or from an urban perspective, it's lesser. So there's huge challenges around the government supports. We have seen announcements across the agriculture industry in terms of sport, but tourism really has got nothing sector specific, which is a very, very hot topic. So I suppose from our own perspective, from an IHF perspective, if you take communications with government, you have communication with the relevant government ministries because certain things like the wage supports, they would traditionally come under, you know, two different uh, kind of business portfolios. One is the Department of Social Protection and the other was Department of Business. And there's other aspects and elements of those departments as well. Obviously, you have tourism and that. So, you know, it's not like there's one go to, to, to ministry for all the world. You know, different things kind of fell. But of course, who you go to in your own ministry, they would advocate for you on, on your behalf. Then you have obviously the, the government officials who effectively run the department and who would provide a lot of the advice for government. So we would have had continuous meetings with them as well. Outside of that, the Tourism Recovery Task Force, which I am a member of, and they would have had a direct line across, you know, all levels of government as well. And obviously our voice was very much filtered into that. 
Then you have kind of the, the COVID committees. So last week I was in the Irish government, at, we call it our Doyle. And so it's like your parliament and we would have been at a special hearing there on the government's response to COVID. And, and we presented from a tourism perspective. So you have submissions like that and an opportunity to advocate there. And then there's all the lobbying that goes on of the local TDs, which would be your min, uh, members or MPs as the case may be. And that, and our members, you know, across the country would have been very, very involved in that as well. So that's kind of to give you a sense of at a government level. And then you have the government agencies. So we have Falcha Ireland, which is the Irish Tourist Board, there's Tourism Ireland then, which markets Ireland overseas. So obviously it's a little bit more limited in terms of what they can do right now. And that then, you know, there's education and training boards in terms of what they offer. There's just so many areas, you know, that you could get into. And I suppose that's how we represented ourselves as, I suppose, an individual Irish Hotels Federation. Then we feed into ITIC, which is the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation, which is where you have all different spheres of tourism coming together in a representative body. We're also part of the Alliance for Insurance Reform as well. So it's not just what we do as an organization, it's what we do in collaborations with others. And from our own membership perspective, we have a management committee. Initially, we had a COVID-19 specific committee and there would have been past presidents and that involved in this, you know, who would have a very good grounding, I suppose, because I was such a newbie to a degree. And then we have our management team. We have an extended management team this year because there was so much ground to cover and there was such willingness to get involved. And I suppose people had time in their hands within reason as well to try and share the, the, the workload um, in terms of what we needed to do. We have a council committee as well, slightly bigger than what it was before. Council is made up of elected members and then branch representatives. So across the country, there's a series of, of branches and everybody has an opportunity to elect who would represent them and so that their voice is heard. And then we have our general membership. So I suppose traditionally we would have communicated, you know, a little bit on social media via Twitter in terms of members' memos and that. And then there would occasionally have been webinars, particularly if there'd been around topics like GDPR in the past, etc. So I don't think we've ever had anything like the level of communication that we have right now. I think yesterday five different memos went out, all on very, very relevant topics. So I suppose initially a lot of the supports were around employment and, you know, all that went with that. Then there was a lot of supports around closing, you know, advice around utilities, things like, you know, Legionella, you know, what you need to do as part of those processes, contracts, you know, it was just like looking at every aspect of what you did and how can you minimize costs and, you know, are there safety things, are there things you had to leave running no matter what? Then there was a lot of work going on in terms of guidelines. So again, our membership had an opportunity, our council to feed into that process. We had a special working group working on that. And then we had special working groups working on lots of other things in terms of insurance, you know, rates and utilities, marketing, HR and mindfulness training. So a huge community of people involved in the, in, in the process. And that as well, you know, lots of video would have gone out as well, just in terms of messaging. Twitter, I think, has become a lot more active than that as well in terms of, so it's almost like you're taking the same message and, and you're moving it across a series of, of communications. And the working groups have been a really important part of that. We've had more branch meetings than ever before. Zoom has been a great, I suppose, uh, tool for us to use and it has allowed us to connect with a lot of people who traditionally mightn't come to a meeting locally or indeed at a national level. And that as well, a huge amount of webinars in terms of supports. Many of them we did ourselves within our own expertise of our general hotel community and their teams. 
we got experts in, in in other spaces and that as well so they would have covered kind of all of the major kind of business functions across the hotels training available to all of our teams a big big part then was kind of working in tandem with fall to ireland we're on a stakeholder group there as well so there just has been communication 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 yeah. it, it's a really really intricate web and it's just making sure that we're listening to members and we're advocating then you know at a government level at an agency level and there's been great appetite to do that i suppose we're just a bit disappointed with the progress that we've made, we haven't seen sector-specific supports, which we badly need. We don't have sight of September. But there are things that, you know, have worked a little better in terms of being able to open earlier, you know, the wage subsidy scheme being extended, being put in place. But there is a sense of with this July stimulus package, so much more has to come because we're decimated as an industry. We're taking along right now, uh, trying to bring as many people back to work. But there's a sense of, you know, if we don't know, if we don't have sight of September, and I go back to it again, there's almost reckless, you know, to, to be yeah. trading and bringing people back to work. And I suppose, look, trusting um, a continued improved public health story so that it, it will allow those decisions to be made. It's just a little unfortunate that we've had a change of government. Nobody's going to, I won't say go out on a limb, but nobody's really, you know, they're all trying to get to know their new ministries in many cases yeah. in terms of our own minister a very formidable lady, uh, Catherine Martin. Um, she's a green TD. From what I've seen so far, great passion, acute understanding of where we are. But it's going to take a while for her to get to know. But unfortunately, we don't have months and weeks to play with. And whilst the intent is very much there, it's just, it's a critical time. Yeah, no, sure is. And I suppose if you look at now, kind of going into this post-COVID era, and we're talking about it's been great to see on LinkedIn, you know, hotels opening, bars opening, cafes opening, all the great photos of the concierges and the front desks jumping up and down for, you know, the guests arriving for the first weekend. I think everyone has a sense of, I suppose, excitement, looking forward to the next couple of months and, and welcoming guests back. That's why, you know, everyone is in the world of hospitality. Have you seen any kind of great initiatives from some of your members, from hotels, from hotelier friends? You know, I mentioned maybe one with, with Owen and Adele from Cork International. I think they had a charity kind of a thing where they could, you and your friends and family could have the whole entire hotel for the weekend before they reopened, you know, and they, they raised money for charity. I thought that was a great initiative. And I'm sure you might have seen some. Has there been any things that come to the front of your mind? Sure. I mean, the Trigon Hotel Group, which you refer to, and the general or the group general manager, Aaron Mansworth, is actually a colleague of mine and a very good friend. They've been amazing, um, yeah. even in terms of, you know, the, the speakers they've brought in for their own teams. And, you know, I suppose the first thing I'd say is their support of their team, as I see it, has been extraordinary. And I would love to think that that has been mirrored throughout the country, but they seem to have done it in a best in class way. I know even in the context of our own hotels, we reached out to a lot of sporting people actually in particular, because that whole sense of team mentality, the challenges that they would have faced. And we got some amazing videos. One of them came from John Kiley, who is the manager of the Limerick hurling team, and they would have had huge success in 2018. And he told his story, but he told it in, I think it was seven minutes long, right? A video, because we shared these, you know, weekly with our team. But he told about how the hotel was very much part of his life. He had a series of props. He hosted his wedding in the hotel. He, at one stage, he took down um, a sign and he basically said his parents had had a pub 
and it was the only thing that he took out of the pub when it closed and basically it said nobody said it was ever going to be easy and how he spoke about that in the context of being closed and the country as a whole and how he couldn't wait to come back and celebrating what we do so well and I mean that that was a really really high moment but we had a number of of those really really great I suppose kind of that sense of support and community so that then obviously was made available to our teams and that so that's one thing that I'd say from a hotel initiative there was a great sense of support outside of the hotel community that people really wanted to try and help and, and particularly around you know that whole sense of mindfulness and that as well and indeed there was a lot of people in the corporate sphere who made their services available, you know, in terms of webinars and lots of things, no cost involved. There was a sense of, well, look, you know, we want to help you. You know, we know that things are tough. And when the time is right, if you're available to, if you can avail of our services, that that's thanks in itself, but doing a lot of things gratis. Um, and that was a huge, huge thing. We've seen a lot of kind of, I suppose, corporate social responsibility. I mean, you referred to there in terms of Trigon Hotels. I know at a local level, Adair Manor, they provide countless meals to the community. They provide countless meals to the hospital. My aunt's a nurse, so she would have had the benefit of, of those as well too. And I mean, they also donated um, temperature checking uh, machines to the hospitals as well. So a great, great example of, of that as well. And then there was people providing everything from meals to, you know, equipment, you know, it was everything from sanitizer to gloves, you know, there was a real, real sense of, of that. But, you know, this is only building on what I suppose hotels have been doing all along. In the context of our own hotel, and, and look, we're a regional hotel, a quarter of a million, excluding all the vouchers that we give out, which are countless. We find it difficult to say no if it's bona fide. We're part of a community. We do have, you know, that whole sense of conscious and, and you know, that, that willingness, I suppose, to support and help where we can. But we would have spent a quarter of a million last year outside of all the vouchers on, you know, supporting teams, supporting different projects. And you're going to see that merge throughout the country. And unfortunately, that's one of the things that we're concerned about is as we move forward. We just won't be able, you know, as a hotel wide community, as much as the desire is there to do that, to be able to fulfill those kind of, you know, commitments. And I suppose as we're talking about kind of great initiatives, you know, during closure, there's some great stories of hotels that kind of reinvented themselves and it was a real kind of creative streak so the Armada Hotel in, in um, West Clare which I'm sure you may have visited once or twice Mark <laughs> yeah. yourself as uh, part of the Shannon tradition I mean to see they started their at home concept straight away they had a cocktail service and that available at one point I remember reading they had sold their a thousand cocktail and I mean you're talking about a hotel yeah. that's on a coastal area with no great population around it and I was kind of saying, oh, my God, you know, isn't that just wonderful to see that kind of level of support and interest? And they've done other things, too, in terms of kind of, you know, I think there's the fish stand. And so it's really made everybody rethink what they're doing. I mean, in the context of our own hotel, I mean, you know, Kids Club and Kids Program are very much part of it. And yes, we still now can do that. But when in a period of uncertainty, we did a lot of kind of self-guided things. So now there's be you know bug trails and you know there's the fairy trail has been ex expanded you know we now have bees they arrived in world bee day and you know there's kind of talks around our organic garden and, and that so it's just we're all reinventing ourselves some of it is out of necessity but some of it is where you time to stop take stock of what it is because look at the end of the day you know we've new values as a hotel community our team of new values and indeed our guests have new values as well so it's great to see that creativity 
you know, within our teams, you know, within our, our guest community. And it's great to have seen, I suppose, that wonderful sense of corporate social responsibility. You know, it was, it was, yeah. it was really, really great to see those great initiatives in place. Well, I was actually due to be at the Armada for a, a wedding, my cousin's wedding on the Maybank holiday. And I felt doubly bad for them because it was the most beautiful weekend that weekend down in Armada. But yeah, I, I think John Burke must have made Kieran Burns do a few espresso martinis because I saw the videos going around of the, the cocktail making classes. But yeah, it was a, a great initiative. If you, um, mm-hmm. I suppose, look to the, to the future now and you talked about your kind of 10 point plan initially when you came into the role, when does that kind of start to take precedence again? Do you see that happening over the couple of months or is it just still too raw at the moment? Sure. Well, do you know, Mark, it was funny as I prepared for chatting today, I was asked in an interview about six weeks ago, you know, what did you set out as part of your 10 point plan? And I said, look, I don't have it line by line here, but here's a sense of it. So it was funny. I used today as an opportunity just to look at the 10 points. And, you know, interestingly, the first one, tourism at the heart of the government's economic agenda. You know, with the right July stimulus package, I believe we'll be there, but not for the right reasons, unfortunately. But there is a huge sense, you know, like tourism in Ireland was one in 10 of all jobs, you know, and when the cabinet was announced, our new, you know, uh, I suppose, government, uh, and think if you use the same terminology in the UK, it was one sixth of a 50, you know, our cabinet minister was one of 15 at the table and it became one sixth. And you're kind of sitting there and going, did that, did that actually happen at our lowest hour ever? But the thing is, if you have the right conviction to make, you know, your voice heard um, and if you get support from the other people at the cabinet table, because, you know, so many of those recognize the importance of tourism, you know, you're, you're, you're in a great fighting position. And I believe we are. And in a way, I'm telling myself that no sector specific things have been announced because the scale that we need is at such a higher level than what we've seen spent in others. And, and we have got kind of a sense of that. So I'm really hoping that against the backdrop of a new government and building on the expertise and communication, we're working really hard at making sure the cabinet understands just how serious this is. We've been doing it all the time, but it's a new approach with a new government and that. So that's, that's a big, big thing. So I believe that's evolving in the right direction, but we've had lows along the way. That's the other side of it. Becoming employers of choice. Well, that's a funny one now. Um, but I do think um, that within our own teams and our own community, we have a great bond in the light of, of COVID. And I'd like to think that that has, you know, happened across the country. And I keep saying, you know, over and over again, this is about bringing as many people back to work as we can. This is about survival, you know, and building, I suppose, in terms of performance will come after survival and will come after being in a position to bring as many people as we can back to work, because that has to happen across the country for us to have a viable economy going forward. So employers of choice, yes, you know, we'd like to think that we're looking after people really, really well or as best we can and building from there. So in a way, I think we're taking that box, but there's a lot to do, you know, and it's, it's a very changed environment for sure. Sustainability at our core, but I, you know, that's, that's, it's funny because when you come into COVID, there's a lot of single use kind of, you know, practices that go with it. And you think, oh my God, sustainability has gone out the window, but we're using a lot of sustainable protocols. That's always been an important part. And it's going to be more important in terms of that whole green space, not just because we have, you know, green a party as part of our government now, and we indeed have a green tourism minister. But this is something that we do really, really well. So I think that's that I won't say it's going to be an easy one, but it's something that's going to come very naturally to us. 
enhancing our research capabilities. We've never surveyed people as much as what we've been doing right now. So we already have a wonderful bank and routines around, you know, making that information available. So I think that's another one we've taken, celebrating success. I think from a CSR perspective, we've done that. And um, the relevance of IHF to membership, I really hope we've shown our stripes in, in that respect already. My brother Connor always says, you know, a pat on the back is only inches away from a kick somewhere else, you know. So I'm very conscious of the fact that it has to be ever moving in the right direction. And um, best in class, you know, when we see the creative things that have been done and how quickly we came out with our guidelines and the fact that we reopened quite quickly and that I, I think it does in itself lend itself to a sense of best in class. But we are going to be ever learning. We learned a lot from hotels that opened, stayed open, providing essential services during the lockdown period. And we learned a lot from what was happening overseas because maybe we were a little bit more kind of time delayed in terms of our exposure to COVID and that as well. But that's something that's ongoing. Tourism and education can't go there for the moment. I think we have to get everybody back to school. So I'd say that's the first big, big void. Regionality and seasonality is naturally kind of happening as well. And the last one is in terms of mindfulness. So as I look down through my list, the only one that I think we we really made no progress on is, is in terms of education. But the others, for different, for reasons that I could never have imagined, you know, have all uh, come into play. So that's something that I feel will be very much part of. It's bringing us back to the core. And obviously, we marry it with the circumstances we have now. We try to come out of it as positively and, I suppose, leaving, you know, as much of a, a footprint as we can in terms of changes and positive changes there. Brilliant. Brilliant. And if you were to leave us on a positive note, Elena, what would you, what would you say to if there's a hotelier here listening and they want to, you know, leave this podcast with a bit of positivity. What would your sentiment be to, to everyone? Well, the first thing is we are the most resilient people probably ever in terms of what we face on a daily basis, not to mention the challenges of COVID. And I think we've done really, really well as a tourism industry in terms of responding to it. We were the first to be hit in many cases, the hardest hit. And, you know, and, and in many cases as an industry, we'd be the last to recover. Um, and I suppose the government supports are a huge, huge part of that go forward. But let's talk about the positives. I mean, you know, after the last recession, it lasted so long. We really probably didn't have a great physical product. I believe that the product base that we have in terms of facilities is really, really at a good point. A lot of investment has gone in over the years. And we didn't have that the last time we had a financial crisis. And, and don't get me wrong, the scale of this is, is so much more profound. But we have a great base to build from. We have hospitality standards, and I suppose in terms of the people in Ireland, we're envied across the world in terms of, of what we have and that. So obviously we need to make sure that there's trading initiatives there to continue to support that and that you know we leverage the positive kind of people stories that we have in abundance in that as well. So great product, great hospitality, great value proposition. There's something for everybody in Ireland. There really is exceptional value available right now. And I suppose in terms of all of, you know, value means different things to different people, but I do believe there's a lot of extra services that we offer here. And if, you know, we continue to creatively build on those, because at the end of the day, you know, right now people there's a huge drive here in Ireland for people to staycation home but we have to earn that that we're the number one choice for them and this is where we have to go above and beyond to out but with the right product the right people and providing a great value proposition in terms of extended services and creative things I mean that's a really really super base I think from um, an Irish perspective I mean unfortunately so much of the tourism revenues are generated by overseas visitors you know, air access is going to come a point where that's going to become a huge, huge issue. 
and, and that because we're an island nation in particular as well. So there is an aviation task force, recovery task force as well too. So I think that's another positive of that. And I suppose, look, ultimately, you know, there's so many wonderful hospitality experiences here, but I think we need to look at the niches in terms of what we do really, really well. And one of those is weddings and international weddings. I've seen, you know, so many famous weddings come to Ireland. And then it's, you know, the, the, the elopements and, and that as well. So I think there's a huge opportunity there from a destination perspective. Uh, in terms of conferences, you know, a lot of the climate that we have right now isn't very competitive in terms of choosing Ireland as a destination. So I think we have a huge opportunity there as well. And indeed, if you go back to space and our culture, there's so many positive things we can build on, you know, in terms of festivals, landscape, you know, our food and drink culture, sport, music, film, cinematography, arts, history. But we have to find, I suppose, we have to build in what we're really, really good at build the relationships to make that happen in terms of propositioning us overseas and that. But we can't forget about Irish people as well. You know, we need to make sure that we continue to be relevant uh, to them as well. So look, I think there's a lot of positives going forward, as I said, and our people, people buy from people. People make the biggest difference here and we need to continue to invest in them and to support them um, and, and that going forward. So I suppose I hope that gives you kind of a sense of where I'm coming from. No, Lena, listen, thank you so much. Honestly, just from the podcast perspective, thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone across the country who acknowledges and, and how grateful they are for all the hard work you've put in over the, the last couple of months. And I'm sure they wouldn't have wanted to have anyone else but you in, in the position, you know, fighting for them and um, wish you all the best for, for reopening at Woodlands and, um, and everything else that the next couple of months brings for you. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks very much, Mark. I appreciate you taking the time to chat and I hope your listeners enjoy. Wishing you continued success.